You've tuned in to the Roundtable Podcast, episode 66. Hello, literary alchemists. I'm Katie Brisky. And I'm Dave Robison. And you've tuned in to the Roundtable Podcast. On the Roundtable Podcast, we bring writers onto the show to pitch story ideas to us and our esteemed guest host. We take the raw lump of clay that is our story. We pound it. We mold it. We throw it, changing it beyond all recognizable shape and form, crushing it into little balls, spreading it back out, uh, putting it into refining Fires. We dig into it, exploring what works, brainstorming what doesn't, transforming that raw nugget into pure literary gold. Yes, brilliant. We we are we are like the uh, 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 the the molders of of clay into into grand statues of classical awesomeness. That's how I like <laughs> to think about it. <laughs> I, I I like the way you think, Brisky. I really really do. So, Katie, uh, before we roll into this thing, uh, uh, I. I realized and during the 20 minutes with I really didn't get a chance to to properly introduce you or allow you to introduce yourself to our listeners. Now now granted anyone who's anyone knows who you are. Really? Uh, uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but there may be a few out there who have not heard of your awesomeness. So so take a couple minutes if you would and and toot thy horn, mistress. Oh, I'm Canadian. I can't do that. Okay. <laughs> no, well, I'm kidding. I, <laughs> I I've learned to do that. Uh <laughs> You're American folk. Right. Um, I'm Katie Brisky. I'm a Canadian author and podcaster, primarily of fantasy. Uh, so my novel, Hapix, came out in 2012, uh, both in print form with Dragon Moon Press and also as a full cast podcast. I've also got short stories in Tales from the Archives, Black Treacle, uh, When the Hero Comes Home, Volume 2. Um, I wrote an opera. And the latest thing I have out is an RPG called Yeti's Probation Officer from a company called Choice of Games. It's basically a choose-your-own-adventure book in which you are um, like a bounty hunter because things like the Loch Ness Monster and Sasquatch, uh, they are real. They're aliens exiled to Earth. (laughs) So you have to go around making sure they don't get into trouble, (laughs) breaking the, the rules of their parole, all that sort of stuff. It was good fun. It's like Men in Black meets mythology and 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 yes, the yes. National Enquirer. Actually, there is a segment of it set in New Zealand, appropriately. Oh, there's an old chapter in there, uh, so you can find that on the App Store. Uh, it's available from Google Play. It's uh, available for Android as well. So that that is how I'm surviving the off season this year. Oh my god, the off season! <laughs> the off season. Listen to you. Holy crap, you're living the dream, Katie. That's I, awesome. I work seasonally, eh? so I I work at my day job at a historic brewery because yeah, living the dream uh, for eight months of the year, and then four months of the year I rely on the writing. <laughs> <laughs> you are living the dream. You work at a brewery and you write, and you write awesome, cool things, and you have the coolest uh, merch. That 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 singing bear from the opera. Yeah, that's right. I did have that. Oh my god! How many authors would love a bear that that like that tells sings. their stories? Yeah, I know. He sings words that I wrote. <laughs> it's amazing, Katie. I, I I I can I can scrub through the interwebs and find all that stuff. But would you just send me links to all that so I can make sure that our listeners can click on every. Every single one of them and explore them. Yes, I will. You do are that. an angel. Thank you. Uh, uh, and 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 speaking of awesomeness and and living the dream, uh, do let's bring our guest host back on, uh, dear friends. Uh, you. <laughs> You joined us in the in the scribbling note taking session that was last week's twenty minutes with. Uh, uh, she's back to help us workshop a tale today. Please welcome back to the big chair at the round table, Karen Healy. Karen, I am so pumped for this. Thank you for coming back and workshopping a story with us. Fantastic! I am so happy to be here. <laughs> now, Karen, I, 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 you know, in in exploring your your background and and the works that you do, there's clearly a boldness and and a, a very fierce vision that is driving what you're doing, or at least that's the illusion. That might be a, a carefully p- portrayed facade. It's working. <laughs> it's working, but but I, I can only imagine that there's many more steps to global domination on your chart. So, would you share with our listeners uh, what's What's happening right now for you? What's coming up? Uh, what, what's happening in the world of Karen Healy? 
Well, we've just sort of finished our um, convention season insofar as we have one here. Most of our, most of my um, convention stuff in New Zealand is going to literary festivals and, and being the young adult author at the table, which is always really exciting. New Zealand's got a good tradition of supporting YA. Um, my book, While We Run, uh, is the sequel to When We, when we Wake. When We Wake is the story of uh, Tegan Oglietti, who dies in a freak accident in Melbourne in 2027 and wakes up 100 years later in 2028. And uh, it's a Sleeping Beauty story about how one would deal with the world after one wakes up instead of just automatically having a happy ever after. That's her story. And the sequel, While We Run, is the story from her uh, friend and love interest, Abdi Talib, and his own uh, interactions with the Australian government and its interesting migration policies and environmental <laughs> disasters of the future. Interesting in heavy, heavy quotes. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, and this is really sad, most of the things I was talking about in the book are um, just only a little bit more um, extreme than what Australia is actually doing to oh God. legal migrants. Um just Out is a story, Careful Magic, about a young woman who has compulsions and also has magical ability in order magic, um, who goes to a school full of people who are full of uh, you know, teenagers being very chaotic, who are much more inclined towards chaos in their lives. And uh, the way she deals with a school bully, that is in the anthology Kaleidoscope, by 12th Planet Press, which is a wonderful, wonderful uh, anthology of diverse fiction. So it's young adult fiction about young people who um, may not be white or may not be straight or may not be from uh, European heritage. This wonderful, wonderful collection is edited by Julia Rios and Alisa Krasnerstein. Um, it's International, it's got Garth Nix and Holly Black and Sean Williams and me, lots of people. It's wonderful. Wow. Every single story in that is just amazing. That sounds awesome. And 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 how cool is it that you're you're not only you know the Andre Norton Awards, you and Holly Black, but now you're appearing in the same anthologies. I know, it's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Again, going back to the whole wish fulfillment thing. That's Absolutely. awesome. Yeah, That's excellent. No, this is one of those times where people went, you could really go after your dream. And then I did, and then it turned out, which doesn't always happen. So That's hey. amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, uh, clearly, uh, back in the, the mid-2000s, you were rocking the Wiscon. Uh, will you be making any trips out to Wisconsin uh, in the future? Um, I have plans with the, uh, with the friends that I went to Wisconsin 30 with. We are going to Wisconsin 40 in 2016. It's going to be great. <laughs> Outstanding. A reunion a reunion tour. Reunion tour, exactly. Yeah, basically we'll sit in our hotel room and, and, and play with makeup and talk about books. But that's <laughs> my ideal nice. life. So. <laughs> Awesome. Very cool. Well, I will make sure that all of that gets into the liner notes uh, of this of this post when we post it up on the on the roundtable website, Karen. Uh, and dear friends, do click on all of that goodness because <laughs> it's just fabulous. Uh, now, here's what I'd like to do at this point. I'd like to pause. We'll give we'll give a moment uh, for for another podcast or an ebook or some other uh, uh, media awesomeness that's happening out there in the world. When we come back. I would love to workshop a story with you both. What do you say? I oh, think yes. that can be arranged. I think so too. Awesome. Friends, don't you go anywhere. We will be right back. Dan Dan the Art Man's Book Reviews, a podcast where I share my book reviews with you. I go about my reviews a little different. I try not to like summarize the book. I just kind of try and tell you how I felt about the book, why I liked it, why I didn't, and that's about it. Mostly I read sci-fi and fantasy, but I also try and read broadly Mothering Heights by Emily Bronte, 11, 63 by Stephen King, dandantheartman.com. Welcome back, dear friends, to the Roundtable Podcast, to the true essence, the heart, the core, the truth of the Roundtable Podcast, that is the Story Workshop. And this awesomeness does not happen without a bold, a courageous, a creative and courageous guest writer stepping up and offering his or her story for consideration for this esteemed, august group of luminaries. So, <laughs> and uh, uh, 
friends, uh, our, our guest writer, like our guest host, uh, comes from a strong literary background. His grandmother, mother, and younger sister were all writers. Uh, he has been a speculative fiction fan since he had the manual dexterity to hold a book and completed a 290,000-word Star Wars fanfic at the age of 17. Nice. Holy Woo. crap. That's epic. That's some serious fanage right there. He attended college in 2007 and after a long and ultimately unsuccessful fight to save his beloved school from being killed off twice by the forces of evil and resurrected as a soulless lich. In 2013, he got his MA in post-colonial studies from Goldsmiths University in London, having only completed two and a half years of undergraduate study. When not writing or working to change the world, he can be found listening to audiobooks or reading the latest Discworld novel, and I am so right there with you, brother, hanging out with his friends or his sisters, searching for the dreaded day job, and very occasionally setting the dance floor on fire. And dear friends, I hope we get the opportunity to see all of those mad skills in play for this workshop. Dear listeners, please welcome to the writer's chair here at the roundtable, Emery Collin. Emery Dude, that's a bold background. I, I would say there might be some trepidation in your heart about this. And if there is, uh, uh, fret not, because you are a badass. And thank you for bringing your story up. We appreciate it. Are you kidding? I've been looking for this for ages. <laughs> <laughs> it, it has been a while. I think you actually dropped in your 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 guest query request like before we went on hiatus. So it wow. it has been ages. No, no, I only found out about you after the hiatus. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. So it just feels like an eternity. I understand. I understand. But I got to tell you, uh, I was listening to last week's episode, and you guys were talking about uh, you know, the fear and paralysis about writing diverse and yet wanting to, and that's definitely something I struggle with. It's part of why I did the post-colonial Um that is where I was in my late teens when it came just to writing uh, female characters. And sure. then somebody linked me to this blog called Girls Read Comics, and they are pissed. <laughs> and um, specifically to one that was something about how to write a female lead character that doesn't drive Karen berserk. <laughs> and just the whole of the blog, the meta message that I was getting from this is, yes, you can do this. It's going to be difficult, but you can do it. And that was just an incredibly uh, empowering message for me when I was 19. <laughs> wow. I'm so glad. That's awesome. I will definitely make sure that a link to that. Uh, uh, to that specific blog post appears in the liner notes as well because uh, I think we could all benefit from from not pissing Karen off. That's what we don't want to do. <laughs> well, Emery, you brought a story with you, did you not? Oh, shit. Oh, oh, yes, yes, there it is. <laughs> oh, damn. Short episode. That's all, folks. Good night. <laughs> all right. Well, let's let's yeah. roll into this bit then. Here's Here's how it works. We give you five to eight minutes. Uh, uh, you give us the title, the genre, your intended audience. Is it going to be a novel, a series of novels, a short story? Uh, uh, give us the, the, the tagline, the theme, introduce us to the world, introduce us to the characters, give us the basic tent poles of the story, and that will launch us into the, 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 the froth that is the round table. I'm going to stop talking now, sir. The mic is all yours. All right. The working title is Astral Saber, and it's a science fantasy adventure slash mystery slash thriller. I'm not sure which yet. It's a long short story or novelette, a short novella at most. The first of an absurdly large number of stories set in this particular fictional universe. The idea is to tell a mostly self-contained story, which also introduces some key pieces of metaplot, characters, organizations, cosmology along the way. The hook line goes... Keso Sonodran is not the Chosen One, but when demonic creatures attack his transport, Keso must find the Chosen One before everyone aboard is slaughtered. Keso is the protagonist, a guy in his early 30s who doesn't know where he's going in life. He wants to do good and help people, but lacks self-confidence and doesn't think he's really capable. At the start of the story, he's looking for his older sister, of whom he's kind of in awe. Nevertheless, when disaster strikes, he pitches in to help out as he can. 
The only thing that makes him special in any way is a minor talent for empathy magic and emotional perceptiveness. The story's third-person limited POV told entirely from his perspective. Her supporting character is Aranika, a woman tasked with finding the one person who can wield an artifact of great power, the eponymous Astral Saber, until I come up with a better name for it. She's basically a young sage, wise and strong, but not so strong that she can resolve the story's problems without help. She perceives Tesso's potential before he does and recruits him to help her find the Saber's chosen wielder. There's also Kaiten, a law enforcement officer who has a brief liaison with Kesso shortly before the events of the story. Kaiten is very principled and serious about his duties, which causes conflict in the second part because Aranika's organization is anathema to his planetary government. He also turns out to be the Saber's chosen wielder. Kesso's sister Kevrin does not appear in this story, but is a major presence for Kesso. She's the person he's trying to find, but also someone he looks up to and from whose bravery and quick thinking he draws inspiration. Apart from Kitan, sort of, the antagonists of the story are mindless demonic creatures bristling with claws, sent by a mysterious entity to slay the saber wielder before they get a chance to take possession of it. The best name I've come up with for these guys so far is Primrella. The setting is futuristic, interstellar travel, advanced technology, and so on. However, there's also magic, which everybody knows about and most people can do a little of, though the more advanced stuff is outside almost everyone's league. There are additionally various higher powers which take part in events indirectly, using agents like Aranika or the Crimbrella. In the case of Aranika's order, which I also don't have a good name for, I presently call them Grivirdi. Their purposes are benevolent. The Crimbrella's master, not so much. However, because they are clandestine and occasionally step on powerful toes, the Drivirdi have a bad reputation in some places, including on Lugridis, the planet where the story takes place. The theme is, you're more than you think you are. Kesso learns that despite his limitations, he can still make a difference and help the people around him, and those closest to him. I also want to play around with concepts of gender. Kesso is male, but his greatest strengths, the attributes which ultimately allow him to save the day, are feminine-coded things like caring, nurturing, empathy, etc. And I'm trying to make other elements of his quest very female-coded. The plot is that Kesso has come to Libritus and is taking a land crawler, a mass transportation vehicle on treads, to the city where his sister recently disappeared. Titan is also on the crawler for reasons of his own, and Aranika because she's narrowed down the possible saber wielder as someone on the crawler. Midway through the journey, the Pumbrella attacked. I didn't really plot this out in terms of acts, but for the sake of structure, I'm going to explain the plot in three-act format. We start out in the aftermath of the attack. The Crumbrella have temporarily been driven off, but not before killing or injuring 20 of the crawlers, 50 or so passengers and crew. Kesso, having lost his sister and just seen a fellow passenger ripped apart before his eyes, is overcome with his perceived inability to save other people. Still, with his empathy, he pitches in as best he can to help the wounded. The survivors pull themselves together and find the crawler has been damaged in the attack. He won't be going anywhere or calling for help without at least a day's worth of repairs. So they set to work on the repairs, as well as tending the injured, building defenses against the Crumbell's return, etc. Kesso notices Aranika acting funny. She's looking for the saber wielder, but he initially takes no notice. Meanwhile, the survivors speculate about what could have caused the attack, with some blaming a Brilwerda. Act 1 ends basically with everyone waiting for the next shoe to drop. Act 2 opens that night. A single Crimbrella attacks the survivors, killing and injuring a couple more people before Aranika arrives to drive it off. Kesso is one of the few to notice the strange magic she uses in the process. Kesso confronts Aranika about her magic. She confesses to being a Grivirda and explains about her and the Crimbrella's search for the Saber Wilder. Unfortunately, she's not powerful enough to defeat the Crimbrella herself, but armed with a saber, the wielder could easily dispatch them all. Kesso comes from a family which respects the Grivirdi, so he keeps her secret and tells her in turn about a search for Kevrin. He also agrees to help find the saber wielder, but he doesn't think there's much he can do. For the next few hours, while still helping tend the wounded and fortify the crawler, he tries to figure out who the wielder might be and to get information on Kevrin's whereabouts but to no avail. The next big turn comes when Aranika pulls him aside and tells him that Kaiten has worked out she's a goody and is coming to take her into custody. 
Before he can do so, she entrusts the saber to Kesso. He's now their last chance for finding the wielder so they can escape the Kundrella. Act 2 ends with her arrest shortly afterward. Act 3 sees Kesso continuing the search alone, even though he doesn't believe he's up to the task. It takes him several hours, but eventually, with the help of his empathy magic, he deduces the wielder must be Chitin. He simultaneously realizes the Kumbrella have infiltrated the crawler for an all-out assault. Kesso rushes to bring the saber to Chitin and Aranika before they're all slaughtered. As the Kumbrella close in and start killing more people, Kesso convinces Chitin to take the saber and save everyone. Chitin reluctantly uses the saber, banishing all the Kumbrella in a split second. Kaiden departs with Aranika to learn how to wield the saber properly, but not before Kesso, with Aranika's help, compels him to reveal that Kaiden's superiors kidnapped Kevrin and are holding her in a gulag. Aranika apologizes for her inability to help Kesso break Kevrin out, but points out that he's already proven he has everything it takes to rescue his sister, and she has no doubts he'll succeed. On this ambiguous note, the story ends. Uh, and before we go into the first impressions and clarification round, I just want to flag one thing. I'm acutely aware that my two female main characters spend at least part of the story being damsels in distress. Part of why I want to get out of this workshop are some ideas for counteracting that. <laughs> I think you've come to the right place, man. Uh, uh, excellent. Well done. Good, uh, uh, good, good, strong pitch. I think there's there's food to work with there. Um, other other than the uh, uh, empowerment and, and engagement of your female characters, was there anything else specifically for the workshop you were hoping to get? I suck at mysteries, and I don't really have a good way yet for how Kesso uses his empathy powers to figure out um, who the proper wielder is, or even you know try fail cycles. What he tries first. Uh, and I also want to find a way to pull the missing sister subplot more into the story and have that progress as well, because as outlined in my earlier draft, it's pretty extraneous. Okay. Okay. I think we can work with that. Um, I, I think a lot of that is going to be teased out as we explore some of the details and nuances of, of what we want to explore. But before we do that, uh, we need to to give you the the patented roundtable disclaimer. Katie, would you be so kind? It would be my pleasure. Right. Emery, you are about to hear a cornucopia of ideas and inspirations. Now, it is important that you understand that everything said from this point forward whether by me, by Dave, by Karen, might be complete and utter bullshit. This is your story, and you decide what to keep and what to toss aside. Okay? Oh, yes, I'm aware. Understood? Right? <laughs> yep. Good. Outstanding. Well, it is customary here at the roundtable to, to lead off with a quick once around the table for first impressions and also for questions of clarification, uh, and we always defer to our guest host. So, Karen, uh, what are your first impressions of Emery's story idea, and do you have any questions of clarification to help make, tie all the strings together for you? Yep, um, I really, I really like the idea of this main character with empathy powers. That's something that's always interesting, particularly because they're not, they don't sound as if they're very broad, um, which is nice because specific empathy power, I think, is is much more interesting than I'm the phoenix and I can see what everyone is thinking. <laughs> um, I I agree that the the, the female storylines in here aren't quite um, coming out where they could be, and. Um, I'm a little shaky on the setting. This is taking place on a ship or on a planet? On a mass uh, transportation vehicle on treads, which is on a planet. Okay. So it's like, I don't know, a train between uh, one side of the continent and the other, only treads and goes much slower. Okay, so it's it's unidirectional, and they can't get off. It's multi-directional, but it's damaged in the initial attack, so they can't go anywhere. Right. Cool. Thank you. Those are my initial impressions, and I'll get into it. Excellent. Yeah. Very good, <laughs> Katie. What about you? First impressions and and questions of clarification. Um, I agree. I definitely like the idea of a hero with empathy powers, and I always like to see um, fantasy elements weaving in with science fiction elements. Yeah. 
So the fact that there is magic is really cool. And it sounds like you've done a lot of work uh, building up the world around the story. Um, so giving us a sense of a world beyond uh, just the page. Um, I agree with Karen, actually, for most of it. Um, question, though, further clarifying the setting. What's the landscape like around them? Like, what kind of planet are we dealing with here? We're dealing with a multi-biome planet. So I haven't given too much thought to the specific landscape that they're in. I've thought just vaguely long rocky plain or grassy plain. There is an atmosphere that they can breathe? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. It's an inhabited planet. But... Okay. Also, um, does Kesso have any ideas about what might have happened to his sister? Like, is he worried about her as... You know, he's on this transport? That's a great question. And uh, in previous iteration of this story, he actually was there when she was kidnapped and traumatized by it. But okay. I'm not sure how well that will work because my thinking was that if he sees her kidnapped, his first instinct is going to be to report it to the local authorities and if he reports it to the local authorities then somewhere pretty quickly somebody is going to see oh we pulled this woman in because we have a serious problem with her and then i couldn't see how to maintain the mystery element okay right. okay um, I guess my last impression is it sounds almost a bit like uh, a murder on the Orient Express kind of story. Yes. Right? Like a very claustrophobic, um, like mm. one room mystery kind of deal, which I think could have a lot of tension and a lot of potential. So those mm. are my early thoughts. Very good. And I agree. I agree. It has that, that, that stranded marooned danger in the darkness outside. What do you do? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, uh, for myself, uh, Emery, uh, they're, they're, the, the first impression I get is that there is a much larger world out here, that there is there are things going on, uh, and, it, and it prompts me to ask a lot of questions about, well, Katie invoked one of them. Why does the government want the sister so bad? Do you know? Um... Not necessarily. My original thing was this whole subplot about an indigenous population of the planet. And I cut that because it just wasn't working. And I was kind of thinking maybe it has something to do with the, the family sympathy for the Dwigwerdi, but I'm not really feeling that either. So at this okay. point, no. So, short so answer is the, I don't the short know. answer is no. Okay, got it. Um, <laughs> what about the Astral Saber? This, this is clearly a, a relic of great power and significance. Does it have a history? And short answer, do you know what it is? Yes and no. <laughs> so much to work with outstanding I excellent 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 um and and the the magic system i assume empathy magic is not the only magic out there no and okay look i have pretty much the opposite of world builders disease <laughs> so I have these elements that oh yeah I want to do this but why try to make a cohesive whole out of it my brain just again so, you have come to the right place uh -huh. all right yeah. very cool that that gives us both a, lo a lovely frame to build on and no flesh getting in the way of us putting our own strings on it, which is awesome. <laughs> so uh, uh, let's go ahead and dive into this proper. And do, friends, keep in mind that what-ifs are perhaps the most powerful tool here at the roundtable. So what if this? What if that? Feel free to bandy those about. But uh, I'll go ahead and turn around to Karen. Uh, uh, one, of, one of Emery's stated intents was to... Uh, uh, empower and and centralize, perhaps maybe bring a line to to a, a, a stronger position. Uh, his female characters. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? What what can we do to to realign things to give them more more moment? Okay, so I really like Kevin as um, as a an offstage character. 
I think having her present and, and, and tell me if I'm mispronouncing people's names. Oh, actually, that's just another really quick note. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of names that you've mentioned have the same sound in them. Do they have the same spelling as well? Uh, what do you mean the same sound of them? Do you have a lot of names that start with a K? Uh, I have two, but they're kind of the two biggest characters in this story. You've got four, dude. You've got Kevin, Kesko, Kitan, and the Kimbre- the Crimbrella. You got four right there. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Well, three. Find 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 different sounds that you like to start words because it is a, it's it's a an old truism because readers really do get confused if you start them. If you can, in sounds mm-hmm. are fine. Um, you can have Louisa and Arabella, and no one cares. But you can't have Louisa and Leanne. Okay, that makes sense. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's just a general note. But I, I really like the idea of her being um, a presence in the story through her absence. I think that's that can be really, really strong and powerful. But we need to have. He either doesn't know why why she's been abducted, or he does know, and that's something. That you could work. I really like this idea of um, perhaps their religious sympathies, if they're religious or if they're sympathetic towards um, playing a part in in the abduction. I would also really like it if you could, because it starts in media res, it starts after the attack, doesn't it? Yes. Yes, which is great. I think it's a really good point to start. It could be really interesting if the main reason he's annoyed about the attack to start with is because this is getting in the way of him him getting to his sister. Perhaps he knows where she is. And that's, I mean, obviously he's on the train or uh, transport because he's heading to either someone he thinks can help him find her or where she is. That gives him more agency. It gives him more, you know, directive. It's like, I have a mission. I, I, a more, a more focused purpose than I'm going to go city, uh, go to the city and flounder around a little bit and see what I can do. And then also, when he's um, distressed that he's not been able to help anyone, it hits even harder because he was on a mission that's now been derailed um, and he wasn't able to help the people on the transport. Um, So I think emotionally it hits harder that way too. Yeah, so if you have him with this motivation of I'm going to go, uh, perhaps he's going to a family friend who has power. He doesn't necessarily know where she is, but maybe he knows someone who might know. Um, he didn't need to be there while she was abducted, but maybe he saw government people, like a, a neighbor or somebody, saw government people involved and said, "Well, look, I saw these uniforms." Mm. Um, that gives him a, a reason to be on the transport, to be upset because he's delayed and upset because he he can't help people. And his empathy powers. You, when do you introduce them? I'm thinking fairly early on. My original idea is to have the story start with him finding somebody who has been mauled in the initial attack, being there with them and say, it's okay, it's okay, they're gone, we're going to get you help, you're going to be all right. Yeah, that sounds, that's really solid. So... If we've got him, uh, okay, so it's in the aftermath of the attack. Maybe his role as somebody who is empathetic is to, how how much of a radius does he sort of have with his power? Does he have to be touching somebody? Does he have to be fairly close to them to feel their emotional state? I'm thinking fairly close, but if he already knows somebody, then he can sort of work from that even when he's far away. He might not know what they're going through right now. Well, I could, but... I could see I could see during the attack uh, having him paralyzed because all of these waves of terror and pain and, and horror are bombarding him. You know, if he's, if he's young in his power uh, uh, and, and has yet to learn the, the, the true ways of filtering uh, and discerning the, the threads of emotion, uh, it, it could be a real challenge for him to be around intense emotions because it, it, it's like screams shouting in his ears mm-hmm. constantly. But afterwards, he could be very helpful at finding people who are perhaps conscious but are yes. unable to help yes. the non-talking wounded. Awesome, that yes. That's his job. That's great. That's like great. Looking, looking for people in pain is probably not something he's done before. Mm. Yeah, you don't get a lot of opportunity for that in, in day-to-day life. So, yeah. 
and 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 definitely have you know have this attack you know tear open the 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 carriage of of the train of the of the crawler and and have people you know spill out into the into the the grasslands or whatever the terrain is uh, and, and maybe maybe there's a, a stand of hills or or jutting rocks that might afford better uh, uh, cover and there might be a discussion among the the groups because there's nobody's really uh, uh, emerging in this group as a leader uh, you know in in moments of crisis somebody is going to step up. That's probably going to be Chitin, uh, uh, would be my guess, as the, the law enforcement dude on the train. Uh, that would be his, his imperative, and he could be that, that, that person, and there could be this division of, we should go to the rocks, it's safer there. No, the, the rescue transport will be here in five hours, it'll be fine. Uh, uh, and th- that whole thing, that's just something that occurred to me. And I'm assuming that they are able to communicate. Um, so... No. You're- they can't no. communicate. No, communicate. Uh, their communication is damaged along Good. with their ability to transport. They are cut off. Good. That's Good. really important because otherwise, uh, in an interstellar um, community, I, you know, I assume shuttles are on their way. So, go. Communications are cut off. With the other powers that people have, this could be where you start building up more of a, a group dynamic. You don't need to give characters a lot of time to give them a, a strong presence. If you have somebody who has maybe. Um, a, a gift or a, a magical ability with mechanical things, um, even if it's not a very strong one. Maybe their goal is to try and work on um, repairing the communications array or something like that. Mm. Yeah, or maybe you've got someone who's got uh, healing abilities. Mm. So after uh, Kesso finds them, right, he might be bringing them over for some really brief medical attention. And I really like the idea that these are all minor abilities, that these are people who do not have, even, even Kaishan, who's a, um, a, a law enforcement official, he might have a very minor ability in something, um, but he's, he's, it doesn't limit his role in any way. But suddenly, when they're cut off from uh, their technology, when they're cut off from communication, where they have to rely entirely upon themselves and uh, the group, pulling all of these minor abilities together i think would work really strongly with your theme yeah that you yeah i was gonna say that fits so well and chitin's chitin's magical ability has got to be the ability to tell when someone's lying to him oh that's perfect yeah because now 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 uh uh Aaron nika has to dance in order to, you know, be helpful, because that I, I assume is her instinct. Uh, uh, but if she, you know, eventually, if she says too much, uh, Chitin's power will will reveal her, reveal her to him. Uh, keep in mind, everyone, that uh, the big reveal at the end is that Chitin is the chosen wielder, so I can't center him too much in the narrative before then or he's going to be just an obvious. Well, actually, I, I don't know that's true. If if you okay. present him as the complete antithesis of, you know, we, we have that reveal when Aranika says, this is what the astral sword is, and I need to find the wielder, and the wielder will be this, 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 and this. Everything that Chitin isn't, at least as far as he's been presented so far. Mm-hmm. And then having him be revealed is going to be just as big a shock to the reader as it is to Kesso, as it is to Kitan. And of course, Kitan being against the order, Aranika's order, uh, it's going to be a huge uh, uh, t- blasphemy for him to to have to take up a, an artifact of this hated order in order to do his job as a defender of justice and of the lives of the people on the train. That's awesome. Oh, the, idea. Oh, the conflict. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. The thing is, I think that what you're thinking is because Kaiten, uh, if we if we think of Kaiten as a leader, if we think of him as a law enforcement official, that's the sort of person we think gets... Um, the the artifact, but that's only in our world. In narrative, we are primed to think that the humble person, the farm boy raised without any knowledge of his origins, is going to be the person to pull the sword from the stone. Oh God, yes. Mm. And if we're reading a story, we're going to think that it's um, that it's Keso. Ke- ah, damn it, Keso. Keso, right? Oh, yeah, Keso. We're going to think yeah. that it's that he is the hero, and he is the hero. But he's the hero in that he is finding the savior, who is not the hero. Um, which I think is could be really, really interesting. Now, I want to talk a little bit about Araneka. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is she looking for this, the, the 
wielder on the transport? She got close enough to know that they must be here somewhere? Yeah, she narrowed it down to somebody who's getting on the transport uh, okay. at their how, original city. How, how many people are on this transport? Um, they start out with 50-something, and around 20 are killed in the first attack. And how has she narrowed it down? Is this an extrasensory perception or or what? If it's some sort of device, if it's something that she just needs to get close enough to somebody to actually identify whatever the brainwaves or whatever the qualities are that they can use the saber, and that's knocked out by the same thing that does the communications. Hmm. Um, That could be really interesting because now she's got this quest um, to fulfill that she somehow has to work out from these 30 survivors hoping desperately that the person she's looking for isn't one of the dead people. Um, mm. Who is it? Oh, my God. And then you really get the murder on the Orient Express feel. And yeah. it also ties in really nicely with the theme because she's now in the same boat as everyone else, right? Because she's been relying on this technology, and now mm. she has to rely on herself. What if the presence of the demons, what if the presence of the Crimbrella is what's throwing the the device off they they emanate uh, uh, an energy that is antithetical to the astral saber uh, and therefore to the wielder thereof and so and at some point she you know she got on the tram she was narrowing it down and then and and that would actually be part of the narrative suddenly her her tracker goes off and it's like what the hell uh oh boom yeah demon attack and and the fact that it continues to not work is, is going to be a wonderful tension thing because that means they're still in the area. They're still mm-hmm. circling. There's still a presence, a danger that's there. Yeah, it could even act as a sort of early warning system, right? Yeah. It starts yeah. beeping and blinking more and more. You know, they're getting closer and closer. Just enough time to ready some defenses. But it's too late. <laughs> maybe, that's she, maybe she sells it to... Um, so she's, she's moving around. She's looking suspicious. She's trying to talk to people. She's trying to get this device to work again. No one knows what it is. But Kyten's like, what is that? She's like, oh, well, it's like an early warning system. When, this, when, when it goes really on the fritz, that's when we know they're here. So he confiscates it. Oh, yes. Yes. Absolutely. Abso- oh, yeah. Oh, God. Okay. Um, just one thing. I wanted to go back to one thing that you were talking about, Karen, with how the expectation of the reader is that that's the humble farm boy uh, who is the hero. And and I think we need. I think we could actually have a great opportunity to play that up. Uh, have there be you know multiple skirmishes with the demons, and at one point have Keso say, "Is it me? Am I the wielder?" And he takes yeah. out the astral saber and gets his <laughs> ass kicked. <laughs> Yes. Oh, oh dear. Uh, I I was originally thinking that her way of absolutely confirming who is or is not the wielder is to have them touch the saber and it will react to the right person. And so when. But then you've shown them the saber. So she's got to trust the saber. Right. Which is why she can't just do that for everybody. But. She does that when she first meets Kesso, and then my thought was, there's that idea out of the way right off the gate, because otherwise, I feel like if I were reading this story, I would just be sitting there thinking, well, of course it's the main character. And but then really it's not, that. which is the cool thing. It's the bad guy. It's the antagonist. It's the one that's thwarting us at every turn. Well, not even yeah. a bad guy, just like a hard ass, you know? Yeah. Okay. One of those gray. I I yeah? I have something uh, that ties all of this together. <laughs> all right, all right. Bear with me on this. I'm still trying to piece it all together. But um, okay, the reason why Kevrin was taken is because of uh, uh, her family, Kesso, Kevrin, their family. Their bloodline is widely known. Uh, no, no, I take it back. Not widely known, secretly known uh, uh, to be affiliated or aligned in some way with the demons. OK, somehow maybe they have power over them. Maybe they're descended from them. I don't know what it is. Uh, and this family has always sought the protection and shelter of Aranika's order uh, uh, to defend them from this bizarre affinity. Okay. Now, Kesso and Kevin have have never been told this. They this they 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 I don't know. Their parents tried to protect them from it. I don't know. Um, but Kevin was taken because 
the powers that be, whoever took her, think that she has the ability to speak, to communicate with these demonic creatures and maybe even control them. And they're wrong because in this case, it's Kesso that has that ability. Kesso is the one that's making the, the, the sensorometer go wonky because his affinity with the demons is just enough to make the thing go and you can have a moment when his empathy powers are working on the demons and he can actually communicate with them and you could introduce some sort of a narrative scope of, you know, why are you here? I'm here to kill the, 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 the wielder of the astral saber. And the demons show Kesso who it is because they know. They know. And that's how Kesso finds out. I just put that out there. Well, yeah, it's very uh, intriguing. The, the last part, I'm a little concerned it cuts down uh, it could cut down on Kesso's agency. Good point. Good so point. I really like the idea of him figuring it out himself yeah, for the detective work, which I am hopelessly bad at writing, but no. <laughs> Yeah, but it looks difficult. But imagine what it would take to empathize with these demons that have killed all of these people. Like that's not gonna happen right away in the story. Right. I see there almost being a progression of him learning to empathize more with other people again empathy it's a theme this week and last week <laughs> um, it really is yeah apparently um but yeah so learning to control his powers because i think we said before like he's quite young in them at the very beginning of the story he's just so overwhelmed by all of this mental noise he can't function once the attack starts and he goes from that through to being able to empathize and communicate with the very creatures that caused it that's quite an arc yeah that's huge. And I would, it would be really interesting to give Araneka more agency if she's like, well, look, you seem to have some some empathy powers. Can you find out who they're after? Sure. Mm. Yep. So her suggestion is to him to do this, but she can't do it. She doesn't have any ability like that. She can't communicate with these creatures. He doesn't particularly want to, but she can <laughs> make the suggestion to him and then it becomes her idea and then his action and his growth as a character in his ability to yank something out. And he can, I think it's really important to make sure that he still has quite, quite a minor ability. He can't mm. command them to do anything. Right. right. He can't, no. he can't yeah. do, you know, turn undead or anything like that, but he can find out information the same way he can if he's talking to a human. Um, and so that can become his progression quite early on. So while um, maybe while Araneka is trying to work out through. And I think that uh, you're telling it first person, uh, sorry, third person limited? Yeah. Just his point of view? Kesso's point of view was my thinking. Because you could bring in hers as well. Yeah. In fact, you could, you could, you could head hot, you could go from, from Kitan to, to Ernika to, to Kesso. Possibly. See if that gives away any of the stuff that I want to leave as a surprise until like the middle of the story. Right. Right. Katie, what are your thoughts? Are you are you vibing on this? I am. I like that idea. I like the idea of doing it, of having at least some portions of it from Erinica's point of view. Though, because I think it will help with the agency problem. Um, yeah. Because I kind of see her almost as this, not quite a mastermind, um, mm -hmm. but she too is on a quest, right? And she strikes me as being very intelligent. Mm -hmm. She's yeah. almost using the people around her as tools in her quest. And I think it would be really interesting to see the same situation, both from Kessel's point of view and also from hers. Um, I had another question, though. How old did you say he was? <laughs> 30s, right? Um, 30s, yeah. Yeah. I, this He strikes me as younger, oddly enough, because this seems very much like a coming-of-age kind of story. I can Just see that. Just random sidebar I had been pondering in the background. Uh, um, I, I see what you're saying. You, you can come of age at any age. This is true. Uh, this is true. And that could actually be an interesting, interesting point. Uh, it is a good point, though. You know, this far into life, uh, uh, you're generally doing something. You, you have, you, you at least think you have a mission. <laughs> you, you may be wrong, uh, but, but you have something that's, that's 
that, that that is driving you. And there's no real sense that he has a job or or that he has anything. I mean, he can he can pack up and go look for his sister. Uh, and there's no sense of leaving anything or anyone like a wife uh, or, 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 or children or a lover. You know, we we don't have to go with the the the, the male female thing. Uh, uh, yeah, it's on with uh, Kitan, Remember. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I really like that idea that Kitan's now ordering him around. It's like, this is not as much fun as when it was in bed. Um, Or, I mean, 30s, what's the life expectancy for people here? Um, At least what we have now, probably higher. Right. Because you could be, if you've got like an older population who due to technology and so on, remain... And, you know, remain in their powerful positions, remain at the top of whatever work they're doing, then we could have a real delayed adolescence. That's true. Thing mm. You see that so, historically now anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So your late 20s that, we, that we're that we doing now might become your mid-30s as, oh, maybe I'll find my purpose in life. Sure. Well, I was also kind of thinking that part of his disaffection is that he's well past the age when you're supposed to be having this sort of crisis. And right. it just fuels his lack of self-confidence yeah, that he hasn't, he hasn't gotten where it's expected he would at this so point in his this, life. This is a catalyzing moment for him. This is, this is that, yeah. that turning point, that threshold where you cross over from being a, a guy who just walks the line and flips burgers and does what he does to someone who actually takes charge of his own life uh, uh, and has to make a decision. I mean, if, mm-hmm. if we go with the, holy crap, I'm aligned in some way with these demons, uh, uh, that's huge. And, and what the hell do you do with that? Well, the first thing you do yeah. is you go talk to the lady that knows all the things because she's, she's the, the wise sage from the order that has always been a good thing to your family. Uh, and she might actually reject him. Uh, she might not know about why about this this bloodline in and it maybe it's not just their bloodline maybe other people in the galaxy have this ability it's just that this group has narrowed down this this this, this these people maybe it's the community he comes from back on his own planet sure oh yeah yeah i could see that absolutely yeah, something in the water <laughs> something in the water something in the trees um, that, that, that idea that he's well past the age where you're supposed to have figured out what you're doing as if, you know, there's ever an age where you actually figure out what you're doing. Um, yeah, yeah. When, when you, all the survivors are sort of gathered, you know, gathered together and, and Kynes giving out orders and so on and he's paired with somebody else, with the healer, to go, um, you know, look for people and, and, and bring them back in. And she's like, oh, well, actually, I'm, a, um, I'm an agricultural administrator and blah, blah, blah. What do you do? And he's like, oh. Oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that what do you do moment where um, you sort of have to make something up or. Kesso hated that question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, guys, I'm watching the clock tick down a little bit. So I'm, I'm, I'm also, you know, there's other things to explore there. Emery had mentioned that in this world there are higher powers. Uh, he, he didn't come right out and say gods, uh, uh, but there are higher. Because they're not. Because they're not, exactly. They don't have churches and temples, but nevertheless, they are some sort of beings that exist on a level that or or entities that exist on a level other than the bulk of of uh, is it all humans emery or are there aliens um, other than the demons are, uh there are aliens uh many of whom are suspiciously similar to uh, creatures out of mostly western european mythologies <laughs> maybe we could so sh- <laughs> maybe we could shift that maybe you could shift towards dare i say maori mythologies uh but but drift out of the the western european mold uh because i i, I gotta tell you i i Back in my rabbit hole radio days when I was producing radio theater, we did a whole series called Mythologica, and we explored and dramatized all of these myths of all of these cultures, and we had a rule that we stay away from Greek. Uh, (laughs) No Greek myths. Their personalities are very different. It's just like the outward cues, I'm thinking, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Could be something worth 
exploring anyway. I was going to say it might it might not only open up new uh, uh, new voices for these powers, but also new new themes and new cultural perspectives on the story that you want to tell. Uh, just a thought, just a thought. So, uh, uh, before we go to a, a final round, is there anything, Emery, that you'd like us to, uh, address that we haven't addressed? I think we've, we've fleshed out some of the stuff. Uh, do you, do you feel like there's something, one more thing you could tease from this group? Cause this, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity, man. Oh, I know. Um, and yeah, I feel like there was something, but you have to give me, um, oh, well, oh, okay. Here. Um, I don't know how relevant this is going to be, but. It's about how um, people respond in disaster situations, like, say, being attacked by demons, <laughs> for example. Nightmare <laughs> their ship. And what happens is very different from what we are sort of culturally primed to expect will happen. And actually, what is, is for the most part, incredibly uh, democratic and egalitarian. Um, so I, I'm not sure I'm feeling the whole part about Titan becoming the leader. He may become like very prominent in this thing, but it's not going to like revert into a, oh, save us benevolent dictator. It's going to no, be no, no. everybody stepping up. Yeah. Yes. And it has to be, and I mean, you're, you're exactly correct. If you look at things like the Christchurch earthquake, um, the response to that was egalitarian and immediate on the ground. But mm. after that, leaders did emerge, the student volunteer army, um, various city councillors who stepped up and said, we're doing this and we're doing this, um, mm. and not always to acclaim. So you've got, you can, I mean, everyone's going to be ste- stepping up at the same time, but Kitan presumably has some emergency or disaster training. He's not going to get the immediate hit that people get. He's going to go, okay, we conduct triage. We've got to help the, uh, we help the walking wounded. We help the seriously wounded. We work on our defenses for the, like he knows what the right. flow chart is and then uh-huh. just sort of goes, okay, who's going to do this? Mm-hmm. But I mean, I mean, the point is that probably most people are doing that anyway. Yeah. Um, I'd say though, if he's got the training, like I agree with Karen on this one. Well, and, oh, and like- okay, but he's not the only one. No, 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 no certainly not. not. Well, and obviously, Aranika is going to have her own thing. Uh, and and one thing that occurred to me, uh, we we talked earlier about having somebody fixing the communications console. Uh, uh, you know, with 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 Kesso being an empath and and picking up on signals and frequencies you know maybe maybe his job back on his home planet is you know a communications tech uh, uh and and chitin would know that as as you know as as his lover and uh you know actually tap Kesso, go you know we, we we need communications go fix that uh, uh, and and have you know have there be a, a moment of engagement in there so that there's a reason for them to communicate and have discourse no yeah, because we we need to affirm that. I mean, the fact yes, they were lovers. If that doesn't come out, if it doesn't have bearing or relevance in the story itself, then it's just a fact that really doesn't inform the story at all. Uh, uh, that fact, I think, needs to be uh, uh, critical, vital. You know, have have Kesso, you know, his first thought be, "Oh my God, is Kitan okay?" Uh, mm-hmm. And maybe be hurt when Kitan's first thought isn't, "Oh God, is Kesso okay?" Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. and work that line. So. Um, can I just have a point about the uh, mythological creatures from various mythologies mm-hmm. actually being aliens? Um, you might want to talk to people who have those mythologies to see if they're okay Ooh, with that. Good point. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Because yeah. for, I mean, for d- depending on the mythology, it's a cute story about leprechauns or it's, no, this is an important ancestor. So, yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> be careful with that. Yeah, it's, it's not just right. resource material to be drawn on willy-nilly thank you karen i that's an important perspective to take when you're when you're working with this so all right um we are we are definitely pushing the time envelope so i'm i'm going to ask for one more spin around the table uh uh, just some quick final thoughts any last minute things that you didn't get to in the in the main workshop but but basically fill emery's pockets with as much literary gold as you possibly can and uh and we'll send him on his way karen we'll start off with you final thoughts recommendations for emery as he moves forward 
I want atmosphere in this and I think it could be best accomplished by starting in the morning and hitting the night. I think that if the attack takes place uh, just after um, just after daybreak, maybe, mm. and, then, and then it comes right down into the, into the evening and they're waiting and waiting and waiting for the attack they know is coming. That could be spectacularly useful for you in terms of mood and atmosphere. Got a great ticking clock too. The sun's yeah, descending. Say. It's getting darker. Oh, they come out at night mostly. Yes. <laughs> Inexorably. <laughs> That's awesome. Katie, what do you got? Um, I wanted to talk more about mysteries. I know we don't have time. Um, so my advice for that is to plot backwards. Mm. Figure out what Kesso needs to know to mm-hmm. pin uh, Kitan as the wielder of the saber um, and then figure out where you can drop those into the narrative and figure out also how you can misdirect both Kesso and the reader. Um, <laughs> so, sleight yeah. of hand, which is always fun. Red herrings, uh, but, gotta have but, those. Yeah, yeah, plot backwards. That's Figure out, because know everything that you need to know and then figure out how you can hide and how you can reveal right up to the beginning of the story. Yeah. That's excellent. That's excellent. I, I'd forgotten your 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 uh, proficiency with the mystery genre, Ms. Brisky. I apologize. That that's that's excellent advice. Um, for my for myself, uh, uh, Emery, I just listened to a, a, an interview with Lou Anders on um, uh, Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing, and uh, he he has the exact opposite issue that you have and that is that he's a a, a, a chronic world builder uh, uh and and just all of this stuff that goes out but he pointed out at one point uh in in his in his latest book thorn and bones thrown and bones uh, uh available at all fine bookstores um <laughs> that uh knowing the backstory of his world allowed him as he was writing the narrative to be able to say when the protagonist picks up a blade uh, uh, to have uh, you know a passerby say say you know there's quite a story behind that sword uh, <laughs> and and know what that story is and uh, what you've what you've got especially with with Aranika's order with the demons with the astral saber uh, uh, you you have a mythology here uh, mm-hmm. something that really it, when you first started describing it, said to me, there's more here. There's a lot more here. And I really want to know what that is. And and my my suggestion is to figure that out. Trace back the, the, the order's history politically, geographically, uh, theologically, philosophically. Uh, where did the demons come from? What is the, what is the astral saber? Uh, and I think all of those things will will begin to resonate to the themes that you either want to present in this story as it is or awaken new themes that you didn't realize were there but could tie in beautifully to the the mythology of this of these worlds so Aww. so that's that, that's my suggestion so holy crap all right now emery we have we have uh, uh, i think we have fulfilled our, our our mandate of creative froth uh and we have strewn literary gold all about the place so here's the deal you go out you write this story and you put it out in the world it doesn't matter how uh, uh pdf on your on your blog uh, indie pub self pub small pub trad pub doesn't matter when once other people are out there in the world reading your stuff you let us know we will have you back and we will will knight you we will make you a knight of the round table and we will use an astral saber to anoint you sir oh dear <laughs> so if there's any you don't know where that thing comes from oh, if there's any demon blood in you sir you're in big big trouble but we'll deal with that when the time comes so emery thank you so much man uh we really appreciate you bringing this story this was good stuff Pleasure. <laughs> and <laughs> and and Karen Healy, wow, uh, uh, so much. And again, this is why we bring on uh, uh, brilliant authors onto the show to help us with these workshops. Wonderful insights, great character work. Thank you so much for your contributions. This has been awesome. Thank you. Absolutely, Katie, my 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 wing person, my my co-host, my co-pilot. Uh, uh, thank you so much. Uh, I, I I would like to do this again if if your if your dance card is clear at some. Anytime, point. Anytime, bro. Anytime. Outstanding. 
Very cool. And as long as we're doling out gratitude, dear friends, thank you for tuning in, as always. Without you, we are we are we are poor, humble podcasters shouting into the void of the potosphere to no end or purpose. So thank you for completing that circuit and giving us a reason to keep blathering as we do. Uh, if you're if you're loving it, if you're feeling the vibe and you want to pay it forward, uh, a review on iTunes is always a welcome thing. Uh, if you have a blog or even a Facebook page, and if you really dug it, you know, a link to the to the to the episode is always cool. A link to the website is awesome. www.roundtablepodcast.com. We do have a forum now, and this episode will be posted up there. So if you have ideas for Emery, you can certainly continue the brainstorming froth out there on ta- interwebs uh, and and throw your ideas up into the forum and continue the discussion. So. Wow. Do you still have a promo day for people to play on their podcast? You know, I do. I absolutely do. And if you go to the roundtablepodcast.com and type <laughs> promo into the search field, that particular item will come up. Also, it's under the about section about the podcast. Uh, I think the link is there as well. Uh, so, yes, by all means, run that promo. <laughs> We're back, baby. We're ready for some promotion. Woo-hoo. So, very cool. Uh, so, friends... I'm sure you're as wrung out and exhausted as we all are because there's nothing easy about what we do. I'm telling you, it may sound easy. It's not. It's a lot of hard work and we love it. Uh, uh, And and we love it so much that we're going to do it again (laughs) next week. Another awesome, awesome guest host bringing wisdom to the masses. Another courageous guest writer bringing a story to workshop. Another fabulous guest guest ho- or co-host to, uh, to to help rock that vibe forward. More roundtable goodness to be had. Uh, but more froth. More froth. More creative froth. No 3-2 froth. No light froth. This is this is full on you know, 10, 10 grams of awesomeness per swallow. <laughs> uh, but that, that that's going to be seven days away. That's a long, long ways away. Katie, any suggestions for what our listeners should do in the next seven days? Again, read excellent fiction. Yes, fill your head and with it. And drink good beer if you are so inclined. <laughs> 10% ABV, awesomeness by volume. Awesomeness by volume. I want to see that on a beer so bad. We have, We'll talk. We'll talk after the podcast. That's awesome. Okay, okay. <laughs> and dear friends, I will tell you as always... You find what you're looking for. So look for the blue label top shelf. Uh, uh, t- 10, 10, what was it? ABV? ABV, awesomeness by volume. At least minimum 10 ABV in all the things that you look for. And I promise you, you will find it and it will get you drunk with power and glory. So we'll be back in seven days with more Roundtable Awesomeness. Until then, you guys stay cool, stay frothy, stay <laughs> awesome. And we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode is copyright 2014 by the Roundtable Podcast and released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at writerspodcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.